Okay, good morning. If you, um, if you want to open up your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll be primarily there this morning. And yeah, before um, kind of starting this sermon, I'd just like to go before the Lord again in prayer and just ask for his help. Oh God, uh, yeah, what a joy it is to sing songs to your name, to have the freedom uh, to do so, to gather a warm building. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, uh, we love you. And uh, now to have the opportunity to open up your word, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. I pray, Lord, that um, your words would pierce our hearts, our minds. I pray that Jesus Christ would be, uh, come clear in our hearts and our eyes, that you would, by your word, by your spirit, reveal uh, sin in our life, places where we're running from you, Lord. May you uh, break us and in your kindness uh, heal us, draw us to yourself. Oh, Lord, may you do your work uh, to further your kingdom and your purposes through the preaching of your word. And Lord, I know I can't do it at all. And so, Lord, I pray that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're just, so we're, this um, January, what is it, 7th? January 7th, 8th? I don't know exactly. <laughs> We're going back into our series, uh, 1 Timothy Entrusted. I do know that. And if you haven't been with us for a time, we're in the book of 1 Timothy. We're here kind of in the middle of the book. And why is it called 1 Timothy Entrusted? And why it's called Entrusted is because the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 uh, books of the New Testament, was writing to Timothy. And Timothy was in a tough place. He was going to a place called Ephesus, and they had a lot of problems within this uh, city within the church. They had uh, leaders who were false teachers. They had a lot of uh, mess going on. And so Paul was writing to Timothy and telling him of what he needed to do to get right. And he said, as Paul had been entrusted with the gospel, with sound doctrine, now he was passing it on to Timothy. And that was Timothy's kind of main tool in which to work amongst the church, in which to do things that are right, was the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, he was, as we celebrate in Christmas, came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again. Whoever would believe in him would find their sins forgiven. This amazing message. So Paul's like, here, you have the gospel. You have all that you need. You have sound doctrine. That means good teaching. And if you have good teaching, you don't need to know all the false teaching. You need to go in there and you need to start bringing them back to what the word of God says. You've been entrusted with it. And not only in that, in 1 Timothy, there's more about like how do you structure a church? What does the leadership look like? What should a church be about? So really a timely book for us as a young church to be in, asking those questions. We don't want to just come up with our own ideas of what we should do and how we should be operating. We're like, what does the word of God say? We want to come under it. So not only was Timothy entrusted by Paul, but as we hear the word of God, as we have it applied to our hearts by spirit, then we're entrusted with it. Individually, how are we going to respond to it as a church body? How are we going to operate as leadership within the church? And so I pray as we look 
uh, today and in the days to come, continue in First Timothy, may we have ears to hear and hearts to obey. And so if you want to stand with me as we read God's word, we're looking at First Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13 this morning, talking about deacons. First Timothy 3, 8 to 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. May God bless his word to our souls. You can have a seat. So just, just thinking about deacons, I've called this message deacons, servant leaders. And, and that's what deacons are. They are servant leaders. And just, just thinking about, I just want to kind of give a little bit of background, thinking about deacons. Truthfully, in my experience in church life, I haven't really seen deacons uh, used much or, or used well. Because uh, actually, there's not a lot in the Bible that talks about deacons, as I'm going to show you here in a moment. And so there's different traditions. Uh, sometimes we'll have a pastor and then have deacons, and the deacons operating more like elders, which is kind of confusing if Scripture says you should have elders. And actually, if we, as we looked at the passages before, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, talking about elders... I spent a lot of time reading about that, thinking about that. What's the call there? Uh, you know, is it just for men? We looked at that. I believe it is just for men, but not just for any men, but for certain men who meet those biblical characteristics. But I hadn't spent much time after that looking at deacons. Um, and, and, but it is, there's actually not that written about it in the Bible. So if we we're thinking a little bit about the background, kind of like early on before deacons existed, there's the, in the book of Acts, you can turn there if you want or just listen. In Acts chapter 6, we kind of had like the foundation laid for these servant leaders. This is just as the early church was being formed. Acts chapter 6, they're, they're all in Jerusalem. It says this, Acts chapter 6, just looking at verses 1, 2, uh, 6, 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. This is the Greek-speaking Jews. It arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There was these widows, and the church was caring for them, and it seems like just the, the Jewish-speaking ones within Jerusalem were being cared for, but not the kind of the Greek-speaking Jews. They were not being cared for. So there's this problem that arose within the church. In verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Not saying that's a lesser thing. They're like, we have our calling. It's to, uh, to preach the word of God. There's this other need that's arising. Someone needs to deal with it. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. 
but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what the apostles, I keep reminding myself in ministry, hey, what am I to be about? I'm to be about Acts 6-4. There's other things that are going to grab my attention, but that's my main priority is the preaching of the word and the ministry of prayer. And so they were like, hey, other people can deal with this. It's very important, but we don't want to get pulled away from what's our priority. And verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They all had Greek-speaking names, so they're able to deal with the Greek-speaking widows. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, so they commissioned them to this work. And they were to deal with that so the apostles could focus on their tasks. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And so we see here they're not actually deacons, but they're kind of laying the the foundation for what we would know as deacons in the future. As there is this need that arose and they, they met it and ministry flourished. It continued to go forward. The word spread. Right? There's a physical need and it was met. And so we see that in Acts chapter 6. So that would kind of be like maybe the background history. We really don't see deacons mentioned much in the scripture. One place we do is just in a greeting in Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul begins the letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints In Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, kind of greets the church with the overseers, greets the elders, and deacons, greets this other group of people, these servants, these servant leaders. So that's really the only other place, and there's one more place. It's kind of, it's debatable, but um, Romans 16.1, at the end of the the book of Romans, as Paul is finishing this great letter, he says in Romans 16.1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at a century, it can also be translated, or a deacon of the church at century. So those are like the only times that the word deacon actually appears in the New Testament. But the, word, like the, the root of deacon, of being a servant, of serving others, of waiting on tables, appears numerous times within the New Testament. That's where we get the idea of a servant leader. There's an idea of serving tables. We see it in John 2.5 and Luke 4.39, and the examples could go on and on. So what is a deacon? A deacon is a focused servant, and I'd say a, a servant leader, someone who's focused on serving. It could be the physical needs of the body. There could be financial things they're looking after from day to day. In the second century, deacons were used to, uh, to bring the Lord's Supper to those who are shut-ins physically or, or elderly who couldn't make it to the gathering of the church. So the deacons were used to do that. But in fact, there's not, again, there's not much said, as you're going to see, about what the role of a deacon is. There's significant Christian liberty to use and how you use a deacon within the church to meet uh, various needs. This is interesting, though, as we think about servant leaders or servants. One man, uh, William Mounts, noticed this. The Greeks in that time usually viewed serving others as a menial task. People who were to rule, not serve. People were to rule, not serve. And the highest good was the, the development of self. And I think, can we have a similar view 
of that. Like it's like ser- service is kind of, it's a lower thing to do. Can I have a similar view? And I just want to bring your attention, kind of frame as we think about deacons, John 13, uh, 13 to 15. You, don't, you can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to talk about it very briefly. John 13, if you know, Jesus, he's with his disciples. They're going to, I think they've just had the last supper and he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. Like we celebrated at Christmas time, like Jesus, God in the flesh. got down on his knees, the lowest position for a servant of servants to do. And he washes his disciples' feet. So shocking, right, that Peter's like, no, no, Lord. And then Jesus convinces him, and he washes his disciples' feet, and then he says this, John 13, 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And you think, so if our Lord Jesus Christ, if that's the example that he set, that he was the lowest of servants, that's the example that we have to follow. So when we're talking about deacons, it's not talking about this lowly task. We're talking about servant leadership. And you're like, that's a hard thing to grasp. Grasp Jesus, God in the flesh, on his knees, washing the created person's feet. Amazing. That's amazing. So just keep that in your mind. John 13, maybe sit in it uh, this afternoon. Uh, Think through that. And so just even as we look at going back to 1 Timothy 3, thinking through uh, who is a deacon, and just kind of frame it like imagine you're with, so me, Roger, and Dave, elders of the church, we're praying and we're thinking through Okay, we're looking for a deacon. If only we had a way to determine who was a deacon. <laughs> and so just imagine this conversation. And, uh, and so we're like, well, actually, no, there is a way to determine who is a deacon. It's here in 1 Timothy 3. Let's look at chapter 8 and just imagine this conversation happening. Well, who is a deacon? Who should we look for? Well, we'll see. I just want to just highlight it's about character. That's how you're qualified to be a deacon. It's actually, it's just the same way as, as an elder is qualified by the character list there in, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. Well, deacons have this list of character traits that they must meet. And what we have here listed about deacons is not the function of what they will do, but the type of person that they should be. And that's what we have here. William Mount says this, of the nine characteristics of a deacon... Six are directly parable to the characteristics of an overseer. And basically, you're looking for a mature believer. So if we were, if we were having this conversation, we're like, well, who are we looking for? Again, so verse 8, who are we looking for? So deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. I see here in verse 8, we're looking for people who have self-control. People have self-control. Notice it begins, deacons likewise. That word likewise is following the qualifications of elders. Like we're looking, we're still talking about leadership within the church. Two distinct groups though. Just as elders have their qualifications and they're listed above, likewise in the same way, here's the qualifications for deacons. Deacons, they must be dignified. Other translations, worthy of respect. 
kind of noble in what they do. It's used uh, throughout the scripture. It's used actually talking about women or wives in verse 11, that they must be dignified. It's used in Titus 2.2 to talk about older men teaching uh, younger men. They must be dignified. They must be known in a certain way that their actions are noble. And I just want to continue to point this out. They must be known because, and their actions are noble because of their faith in Christ. It's not that like, man, they're just really good and they have it all together, but they're dignified because of their faith in Jesus Christ and how he's changed and transformed them. I just also want to point out one more thing, sorry, as we're looking through this list, I forgot to mention, as we look through these characteristics, and you're like, hey, I, I, I'm not a deacon, or I don't want to be a deacon, but there's all these things that we should all desire to follow. There's all these examples that we're going to look at, we're like, okay, I want the Lord to do that in me. Right? And, and so I think each one of these, you're like, no, that's not for me. Like, you want to be dignified? <laughs> you're like, no, no, that's not, no, I think it's for all of us. You're a Christ follower. You want to be worthy of respect? God, do that in us. And then following being dignified, there's this kind of, this list of three negative traits, and each call for self-control. A deacon must not be double-tongued. Must not be double-tongued, must not be hypocritical, like saying one thing and doing the other, or saying one thing to one person and saying another thing to another person. You cannot be double-tongued. You can imagine the, the problems it would create, in, especially in leadership, but in all levels, if you like say one thing to one person and kind of deceptively say another thing to another. So a deacon needs to have self-control over their tongue. But of course, integrity in speech is highlighted throughout the Bible. In Proverbs, the Apostle Paul, James, Jesus said, hey, but it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And ultimately, if you want control of your tongue, you need to have control of your heart. You need to be surrendered to Jesus Christ. But there's this calling, I think, not only for deacons to not have a, a double tongue, but for all of us as believers, William Mount says this, deacons thus must be the type of people who are careful with their tongues, not saying what they should not, being faithful to the truth in their speech. The second one that where they need self-control, they're not to be addicted to much wine. This is repeated uh, elsewhere in Titus 1.7 for the qualifications of elders found there. Earlier in, in 1 Timothy 3, In Titus, also chapter 2, verse 3, talking about women, not addicted to much wine. So I just want to highlight this. We talked about this more as we looked at elders, but drinking alcohol is not a sin. John chapter 2, Jesus at the, the wedding of Cana. Later on in the letter, uh, Paul says, hey, Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach. 1 Timothy 5, 23. That being said, though, there are a lot of warnings around alcohol in the Bible. Like there's so many warnings around it about drunkenness, about alcohol, being overtaken by it, and being intoxicated is a sin. And so just as we're talking about not being addicted to wine, I feel I, I just always have to, I want to highlight, if that's a problem in your life, if that's something hidden, confess that to the Lord and, and get help. Let, let one of the elders here know, let someone who you know, a trusted person, and get help. 
from that. We're, it's not just like, okay, well, that's for deacons or that's for elders. No, it's for all of us. None of us are to be addicted to much wine. It's interesting, though, that it's listed for leadership in Timothy and Titus, and then for deacons as well, elders and deacons. This strong highlight made. It's like, why was that hammered down so much? I think we understand well. We would do well to take it to heart. Robert Yarborough says this, all members of the church should lay hold of the grace of the gospel so as to rise above substance abuse. This behavior is all the more imperative for church-sanctioned figures like deacons and elders. So they need self-control with their tongue, alcohol, not greedy for dishonest gain. Other translations, not pursuing dishonest gain. Colossians 3.5 speaks about put to death the things of a flesh, put to death coveting, like just desiring, just wanting, just never being fulfilled of certain things. Later on in this letter, uh, it talks of those false teachers in, in 1 Timothy 6.5, who, who thought that godliness was a means to gain. They thought that if they could like kind of have some sort of stature in the church and teaching, they could rake in a bunch of money. So he's also addressing that. This just need to always have more. But the fact that it addresses not greedy for dishonest gain. If you were to look at those kind of three negatives and kind of flip them, reframe them as positives, what we want to be self-controlled, we want to tell the truth. Our word is all that is needed. If you drink little, is all you should have, if at all. May God give you wisdom there. And then you think about this, do all things, talking about finances over the table, right? Not under the table, do all things over the table, honestly. Friends, I, I pray that we would have a contentedness within us. And what I, what I mean by that is like, again, the highlight every year, we were in West Edmonton Mall on December 27th and it's packed. It's so packed. And again, just proving that December 25th, everything you got, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. The malls are still packed. We still need more stuff. As Christians, though, it should be different for us. Hey, buy what you need, enjoy what you have. It's not saying buy things, but do we have a contentedness? Do we have this like in the Lord, I, I have what I need. I have enough. And if we do, it'll guard us against this being greedy for dishonest gain. And so we see here, if, if, if we were having a conversation as elders, like, okay, so we're looking for someone who has self-control. Like, is, is that it? Is that, no, no, there's more, it goes on. In verse 9, I believe we're also looking for a mature believer. It says of deacons, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This word mystery is used again just in a few verses. In verse 16, Paul says, Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. One commentator notes this, Mystery is a significant word in Paul's theology. It occurs 21 times throughout his writings. It refers to knowledge that is beyond the reach of sinners, but has now been graciously revealed through the gospel. I just want to take you to a few places. Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 25. So just the end of Romans. 
It's used in this way, Romans 16, verse 25 to 26. Paul closes this great letter with, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Did you catch that? Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, that was what's revealed, the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. What is the mystery? The mystery is Jesus Christ crucified, buried, rose again. The mystery is that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are being brought into the faith and saved and changed. And why was it, was it a mystery? Because it has been planned for ages past, before eternity, before creation, if you will, in eternity past. And it was revealed in these last times that we live in. And so the mystery is Christ. And so if you're, if you're here today, it's like Christianity isn't just like, hey, if you come in, there's a, there's a secret knowledge. No, the mystery we proclaim as clear as possible to anyone and everyone who will hear. That is faith in Jesus Christ. You can be right with God the Father who made all things and holds all things together. You can have peace with God. That's an amazing thing. But it was a mystery in, in the sense that no one knew of it beforehand. Paul's job, Timothy's job, my job, if you're a Christian, your job is to proclaim that mystery to everyone we can. So it says there of deacons, they must hold the mystery of faith, which is the gospel, faith in Jesus Christ. They must hold it with a clear conscience. Paul often already in this letter has used faith and clear conscience together. In 1 verse 5, he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In 119, he talks to Timothy, you need to hold faith and a good conscience. You need to have these things together. But just, just think about that. How do you have a clear conscience? A conscience is such a good thing. It kind of lets us know when we're, we've maybe done wrong or we're going in a wrong direction, but also lets us know when we're kind of doing right. We have peace there. Like if you're, so how do you have a clear conscience? As one, maybe by not doing what is wrong or by being forgiven the wrong that you have done. It speaks of this, having a clear conscience. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it just says this. Let us draw near with a true heart, as in draw near to God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. How can you have your, an evil conscience sprinkled clean? Friends, it's talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. And maybe if you haven't heard that, you're like, what is that even talking about? It means that we have sin, we have stains, we have a corruptness within that cannot be washed clean. The only thing that can wash it clean is that Jesus, when he died on the cross for us, he shed his blood to cover over our sins, to deal with our shame. 
And so if you have a conscience that's bugging you, you've been doing the wrong things, going to the wrong places, as you believe in Jesus Christ, you look to him in faith, your conscience can be washed clean. You have peace with God, even as you're like, yes, I'm a Christ follower, but then I've done what is wrong. I know something's hanging over me. How do we go? We go through repentance and faith again in Jesus Christ. That's how we have a good conscience. It's an amazing thing that we hold to, that we believe in Jesus Christ. And then what is a good conscience, a clear conscience gives us? gives us peace, a tangible peace. Thinking of the conscience, John MacArthur says this, it either accuses or excuses. It either produces guilt, shame, fear, remorse, and despair over sin, or assurance, peace, and joy due to righteousness. The deacon who has a clear conscience is enjoying the latter three. So I hope you can see here, like deacons need to not only believe, but also have their faith affect their lives in transforming ways. A clear conscience because of the faith that they have in the mystery that has been revealed. So they're growing. They're maturing believers. So hey, if, if we're looking for those deacons, we're like, okay, they need to be self-controlled. They need to be mature believers. Like, okay, like, let's go look. Oh, no, there's more. Verse 10, they also need to pass the test. Verse 10 says, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. We've already kind of seen this language with elders, 1 Timothy 3, 6. He must not be a recent convert, can't be a new believer. And 1 Timothy 5, 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands of elders. Like, don't just push anyone forward into leadership. It can have disastrous results. So even if you're like, okay, I'm starting to see these characteristics in this person, like, okay, go forward. No, it says, like, put them through a time of testing. And it's not like an exam, and here's your pencil, and here's multiple choice. But it's kind of like, what, is, what does your life look like? Have you been faithful? And you think, why do we not rush and push people into leadership positions without seeing, do they have the character to match? Well, because leadership, there's a heavy weight within leadership. And I actually, I believe the only way you can truly carry that up is by having godly character, which God put in you and transforms you to have, to carry that weight. And if you don't have it, if you don't have that godly character in time, the weight's too much, and you're going to figure out different ways to try to hold that up. It can be disastrous. So how do you figure out that people are passing the test? I had a friend in Bible college and the church we were attending, it was a church plant. They were looking to have this guy come forward as a deacon. We met in a school gym in Moose Jaw. And so they just asked him, hey, we want you to come before the service an hour before and we just set up the chairs. And that's all the instruction they gave him. Okay, how did he set up the chairs? Was it organized? Did he do it on time? Were they just kind of scattered about? Were they in, you know, was it space for everyone? And so they just put that in front of them. And if, can he do that? Then they're just watching also his character. So they give him a small task. Is he faithful in the small task? Because isn't that it? If, there's, if you're faithful in small tasks and responsibility, it's a greater prediction that you maybe be faithful in bigger ones, right? But if you're not faithful or responsible with small tasks that are put in front of you, like why would anyone assume that you would be with bigger ones? 
So I just say to all of us, don't despise despise small things. Be faithful with what is in front of you. I think that's what what the Lord does. He puts things in front of us, whether it's our our family, our husband, wives, workplace, maybe you're in school, whatever it is, and like, can you be faithful with what you have in front of you? Can you do your best? And as you are, God, he'll, he'll, he'll bring you more responsibility. He'll give you more things that you need to watch over. But so the deacons were called, could they be faithful? After they have been tested, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. That word blameless, above reproach, we looked at it. It's also for elders. Not open to blame. If someone accuses them, it won't stick. It's not saying that they're sinless, that they're perfect, but they're just free from accusation. They do have godly character. It can be seen. So again, we're looking for those deacons. We're like, okay, we have our list. We're looking for someone who's self-controlled. We're looking for a mature believer, someone who has passed the test, kind of time has went on. We've seen faithfulness. Is, is that it? There's more. Looking at verse 12, and I know I, I jumped past 11. I'm coming back to it. Looking at verse 12, deacons, they need to lead their family well. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. The husband of one wife, a, a one-woman man. If married, the husband only has eyes for his wife. Like that's, that's what it's saying. There's a sexual purity within the relationship that's being called for. It's an, an example to follow. But again, if it, it's not saying that someone could be unmarried and not be a deacon the same way as elders, but they would have to still be sexually pure and, and carry that and be an example. Because again, right, like if we made that standard, then like Jesus, he couldn't have been a deacon or an elder or seemingly the apostle Paul. So it's not saying they have to be married, but if they are married, their eyes are only for their wife. If they're not, then they're keeping their eyes down. Their eyes are for the Lord. Their hearts for the Lord. This call for sexual purity in leadership. Again, I talked about it more last time. We have too many warnings within Scripture. We have too many examples of failing within even just (laughs) the past year. So, of course, the leaders of the church are called to this standard. God, help us. Help us live lives that are pure before him. Let, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. They need to manage well as a position of, of leadership, to direct, to be the head of, and to do it well. Robert Yarborough says this, this term well underscores the quality and aptness of the management style and decisions of the household head. He's good at this. Things are not in disarray because of neglect, incompetence, or harshness. In a sense, like the home is organized. Things aren't falling apart. Things are, are kept, are kept up. And again, it's not saying it's like, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect home. I don't know if anyone has a perfect home. I'd love to come over to your house. <laughs> Even as I'm writing this, I'm like, what does that mean? Can there be dust in the house? Because I, I, it's kind of my responsibility in the house to dust, and I haven't done it in a while. So as a reminder, conviction of the spirit. <laughs> But it's like you, you keep your home well ordered and then as you're, as you're watching over your children, you're, you're raising them up in the love of the Lord. Like you're managing them well. You're directing them. 
You're ministering to their needs as the husband does to the wife. You're discipling them. You're disciplining them when need be. And this managing, of course, it's ongoing, right? This happens over time. And sometimes you take a snapshot, you're like, oh, man. Other times, things are great. It's over a long period of time that we're working towards faithfulness. There'll be good times. There'll be bad times within a house, even managing. It's not saying to do it perfectly, but it's like taking the the faithfulness that we call to the deacon position, you can already see it happening within the home. The person, the deacon who loves the Lord and wants to make the name of Jesus known is making it known to his, his wife and his kids. The loving care that's maybe going to be needed within the role, you can already see it present within the family. Seeing the order there, the ministry there, seeing the gospel already taking root. I also just want to point this out so it says about elders the same thing as it is about deacons. If God sees the home as so important, how should we view it? Like if you think like the leadership of the church, like what's the, one of the telltale signs is how is the home, that's an important place. That we as Christians, that should be a high priority in our lives. That we should set aside significant time, focus, attention to keeping our houses in order. And that maybe other things, hobbies or practices or, or desires should suffer so our home can flourish. And friends, it won't be celebrated in the world. It won't be something you sit at the, at the cooler at work and you're like, yeah, my home's in good working order. I, didn't, I missed this game. I didn't get to do that. I'm investing in my kids and my grandkids. But God celebrates it. And so it just struck me like this, as we're talking about leadership, it goes straight to the home. And if that's such an important priority, Lord, make that a priority in my life, in our lives. And so we see again, as we're, so we're looking for this deacon. We're like, okay, someone who's self-controlled, a mature believer, someone who's, who's passed the test, whatever that is, over a length of time, faithfulness. And they're managing their home well. Like, is that it? And so we're having that conversation, and, and then Roger's like, well, wait a second, we skipped verse 11. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, wait, can, can women be deacons? And that's what we're going to look at right now. Can women be deacons? Verse 11, this is from the ESV. It says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. I don't know, in, in your Bible, if you have a footnote, their wives, likewise, mine has a footnote. And so what does my footnote says? It says, it can also be translated wives, likewise, or women, likewise, this, this Greek. And I just want to just bring before you, so at this passage, there's four different ways in which it can be interpreted. It can be, it's a little bit more complex. And one commentator kind of breaks it down to the four ways. The one position is that that the women are part of the general order of deacons. That's one position. The second position, they are female deacons or deaconesses who correspond somehow to the male deacons. Or third, they are assistants to deacons like the praiseworthy widows found in 1 Timothy 5, 9 to 10. Or four, They are the deacon's wives, 
But you think in all those options, this commentator observes all four views agree that women should be involved in the deacon work by some way, shape, or form. So I just want to look at this passage a little bit deeper where it says, their wives likewise. Again, that term likewise, where do we find it at the start of verse 8? Deacons, deacons likewise must be dignified. So their wives, or women likewise, must be dignified. It's saying the same thing. And I also want to point out that this word that's used, it can be translated women or wives, depending upon the context. Gune in the original Greek. What's interesting here, though, is that there's no kind of possessive noun that would say their wives. It just, and actually the Greek kind of just says like woman likewise. Or, or wives likewise. And actually, I, I believe it actually says women likewise. It's the exact same construction of verse 8, deacons likewise, women likewise. For sure, we can see that Paul was singling out a group of women who served the church in a recognized leadership capacity, said Robert Yarborough. So the fact that there's no possessive word for their wives, the way likewise is used, and I also think it's significance as we look at this text that people will make the argument, oh, it's talking about the deacons' wives. Like, why would you have qualifications for deacons' wives, but you don't have qualifications for elders' wives in 1 Timothy 3 above or in Titus chapter 1? And, and so it's like, well, that's kind of peculiar. And the fact that if it was talking about their wives, there would be the possessive pronoun, their wives. But it's not there. It says woman likewise. It's kind of like this awkward uh, kind of syntax, if you will. But the fact that it's there, it should stop us in our tracks. And I think as I studied this, as I studied this, before I came to it, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this time about wives. But as I study this in greater detail, I'm more and more convinced it's, it's saying women likewise is what it's actually saying. And what's the significant difference between elders and deacons if we compare the list together? Elders are called to teach and rule and have authority in that sense. And deacons are not. And as we talked about, if you've been with us, as we, we talked the role for teaching and preaching within the church is for uh, male qualified elders. We see that in, in 1 Timothy uh, 2, 12 to 15, 3, and, and on. So it's interesting that the role of a deacon is not called to teach or to preach, uh, but it seems like it is a role that is open to women. And then people will press hard on, on Romans 16, 1. Okay, Phoebe was a deacon. I think that's kind of a weaker argument. We're not quite sure, but it seems like she's there. But if we look at this text, the fact that it's like, like women likewise that there's no possessive noun, that there's no uh, qualification for elders' wives. In either case, I'm like, okay, I think he's actually talking about women being deacons here. And so as we're like, well, what are the qualifications that are listed here for women? Of course, it says the exact same thing as verse 8. They must be dignified, worthy of respect, noble, honored, known in a certain way. Their actions are noble. Again, it's because of Christ, what he's done in them. Not slanders. Other translations, malicious gossips. We, we see this kind of warning brought to the, the widows, 1 Timothy 5.13, Titus 2.3, is the older women teaching the younger women not to be 
uh, slanderers. And again, think for all of us, like as in not to spread lies about other people, tell the truth. You think like the deacon role could open up uh, these women to maybe hearing more about people's inner secrets, part of their burdens, helping carrying that. And they, they cannot share that with anyone. They cannot be slanderers. They cannot share with what they hear. And so don't we all need that? Don't we all need to be people who are, who are that solid that like if I tell this to this person, no one else is going to hear it? God have our tongues. They're also called to be sober-minded. Sober-minded, we saw this call for elders. 1 Timothy 3, 2, awake, aware. I don't know if you ever watch a really boring movie. You're just kind of like nodding off. That's the opposite of sober-minded. Sober-minded is like, I just had two coffees. I probably shouldn't have had the second one. And I'm like, I'm going. I'm, I see everything that's happening. Or if you do the polar bear challenge, you jump into Sylvan Lake at this time, you pop out. Like, you are sober-minded. You know what's going on. I'm talking spiritually. Like, you know what's happening. And just an example of that in, in 1 Timothy 4, 7. I think I went there as I talked about elders as well. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 5, 8. Interesting, talking about being sober-minded. It says all throughout Scripture, Christians were called to be sober-minded. Why? 1 Timothy 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Do you know the time we're living in? Man, we better be awake. We better be growing our relationship with Christ. Worshiping, sharing the gospel with whoever we can. Sober-minded. And also why 1 Timothy 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Because we're in a spiritual war. You better be sober-minded. Let, let me just tell you this. If you watch the latest episode of whatever and you binge on it on Netflix, you are not sober-minded. Right? If we pour ourselves into the things of this world and the entertainment and pleasure, it keeps us from being sober-minded. So we see this call for these women deacons. It's a call for, I believe, for all of us as believers. Lord, help us to be sober-minded. Help us to not be asleep. Help us not to be lulled asleep by the things of this world. To know the time, to live for Christ. You to be sober minded, there to be faithful in all things, or trustworthy in, in all things. I think, again, like a proven track record. Like you've seen, they're, they're responsible for everything that's put in front of them. Kind of the same thing as being tested over a period of time. Faithful in all things. Luke 16.10 says this, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Again, so we want to just be faithful in the small things. That gives us the ability to be faithful in all things that these women were called to be. But I believe, are we not all called to that? You're like, okay, I'm not a deacon, or I'm not, I guess I'm not called to be faithful in all things. No, as a Christ follower, that is the calling upon our lives. But we must, by his grace, by his spirit, it's like on our own, man, I'm faithful in nothing. I need God's help. 
everything in life. So do these women, so do men. So again, if we're thinking about those deacons, okay, men or women who are self-controlled, who are mature believers, who have kind of passed the test, who are responsible in, 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 in many things, who are faithful, managing a household well. Like those are the people we're looking at. And verse 13, and finishing, like why serve? Why serve as a deacon? Paul kind of like summarizes that. I don't know if people were maybe scared from this position, what was happening within the church. Paul says this, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. A good standing. They're they're esteemed by God and by people. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and in due time he will lift you up. It's like humbly serving, God will lift up that person. And they're, they're in a sense, they're, they're honored within the church. It's the same idea. First Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13 says this. We ask you, brothers, and to be brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. There's this esteeming by people within the work, and of course, deacons wouldn't want that. They don't want that kind of prestige. But the fact is that they're being, as they're faithful to God, they're being honored in that. They gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that it? Deacons have confidence that their faith that they have in Christ Jesus is being acted on. It's an act of faith. They're seeing a need in the body of Christ and they're meeting it. They're walking in the footsteps of Christ who poured out his life for others and also poured out water in a basin and washed his disciples' feet. William Mount says this, far from being a menial task, as some might surmise, providing daily service to the church has its rewards. In summary, Paul mentions two. Deacons are building a good reputation within the community of believers and they are developing an even deeper a deeper confidence in their faith. Think about deacons who are serving well. What are they going to hear on that last day? I think what we all desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's what a a deacon in, in doing the responsibility, serving in the church, a good standing for themselves, and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So why serve as a deacon? Well, because all of us, we're all called to serve. Maybe you see the needs and you meet them. We see in the description, men and women, self-controlled, growing into a mature believer, don't mind being tested, serving others, sexual purity in your life, if married with kids, managing your household well. So we'd appreciate prayer. That, that conversation I talked about actually will be happening in the near future, what a book to be in as we're establishing our church, praying, okay, Lord, what are the needs that we have and who are the people that can help bring leadership to some of these areas? So appreciate prayer for wisdom as we, as we look for these deacons, maybe dealing stuff with facilities and benevolence and hospitality and, and other areas. And, and truthfully, some people are already serving in different areas Maybe some won't want the title. We'll, we'll figure it out. 
But praise the Lord for deacons. Praise the Lord that there's this, these servant leaders given to the church. Right? So the body can be the body that everyone can like, hey, this is the work I've been called to. And there's work over here. Maybe someone can help do this. And we're going to keep glorifying God. Hopefully growing together. Seeing Christ formed in us. And for, for all of us, if maybe you're like, yeah, okay, I've heard it, I've seen it, like I'm, I'm maybe not, I'm not a deacon. For all of us, I pray that we've seen like the call, just John 13, that we'd seek to serve one another within the church, outside of the church, in your home, in your community, that we would be servants, glorifying Christ. And then we saw these godly characteristics, my prayer for us continually is, Lord, form this in us. Help us by the Spirit do these works, but help us have increasing faith and confidence in Christ. You know, I, I want to be those people they mentioned in, in verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So for all of us, that we'd have that faith in Jesus Christ, a clear conscience, guilt and shame, washed away, peace with the Lord, whatever would come. May he do that in us. If you just bow with me, I'll close this word in prayer. Oh God, Lord, I, I pray uh, that yeah, you would raise up deacons in our church. Lord, I pray we would be able to see the needs, see where they could be met, and call the people, Lord, that you have qualified. But Lord, even as we see these different characteristics. Lord, do that in us. By your spirit, each of us, Lord, help us to be, uh, become more self-controlled, not because we're working harder, but because of your spirit at work in us. Help us mature in our faith, Lord, that we would be able to, with our sin, with our shortcomings, look to Jesus Christ in faith, Lord, have our consciences washed clean. Lord, grow in us and mature faith, grow in us a servant's heart. Lord, thank you for your scripture. I pray you seal this word in our heart and by your spirit, help us to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.